Thanks, Chris. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, would you please open to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1. We'll have it on the screen just in case you don't have your Bible with you. And we actually already read this this morning, but we're going to read it again. And we're going to sit in this a little bit longer this morning. Um, So just to give you a bit of a heads up, what we are about to read is our very first glimpse into the life of Mary. Mary, the girl who would become the mother of Jesus. And I have to tell you that this story is, to me, um, one of the most remarkable stories, I think, in all of Scripture. In all of Scripture. And here's why. A little bit of a spoiler alert. It's because we're going to get a front row seat into um, Mary's story. We're going to get a front row seat to lean in and listen as the very first person, the first person in all of humanity gets to hear the news that Jesus is on his way. I mean, just think about that. It's Mary. It's her. She's the first person out of all of us who heard his name spoken out loud. The name above all names. She was it. She got to hear it. She was the first one to be told, Jesus is coming. He's en route. And not only does she hear the news that he's on his way, she then has to go on and grapple, and we're going to listen to her this morning, but she's got to grapple with the very same question that every generation since has had to wrestle with. And here's the question. Now that I've heard, what will I do with him? What will I do with the news of Jesus? It's a question she had to ask. It's a question that we also have to ask. And so I want to invite you into this story this morning. Um, And I don't, like, here's the temptation. Is that it's Christmas time. We've heard the story. We've just read it. It's easy to just let it kind of become white noise. But I want to encourage you to actually just, to, to not just listen to it, but to participate in it this morning. So here's what I want to do. Just imagine with me that we're just sort of like peering into the window of Mary's room, her little room in her family's house in this tiny little town of Nazareth. And it was a small town, it was like 500 people. So just imagine that we're just kind of walking by and we're just looking inside of her room and we get to listen to um, this moment and we get to watch as this moment occurs in Mary's young life. So Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 26, it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and actually, I just want to pause right there. I know we just got started, but I want to tell you that Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. Um, Elizabeth is elderly. She has been unable to have children, and at the beginning of Luke chapter 1, we read that um, the angel Gabriel has come to her and her husband and told them that she is miraculously going to be able to get pregnant, okay? So, and she does get pregnant. So, picking up again, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for Jesus. We are grateful for these stories that we admit sometimes they don't just, they just don't hit us the same way as they used to maybe. And so we ask you just to arrest our hearts this morning. Help us to lean in in a different kind of way. I pray it would be fresh. I pray that you would help us to hear your voice. Would you thrill our hearts with your word this morning? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, as I mentioned a moment ago, this is just our very first glimpse into Mary's life. And actually, our first glimpse into her life is the moment that her life changes for for, for her. <laughs> Let's start that again. <laughs> wow, that was weird. Our first glimpse into Mary's life is the moment that her life changes forever. Forever is the word I was trying to say. You can do a whole genealogy, but the word forever is really tough. Again, I just want to imagine ourselves in this story because this was an ordinary day. And this was an ordinary girl. And I do mean girl because um, scholars think that she was probably around 15 years old. She could have been as old as 16, but she could also have been as young as 12 or 13. And what I'm trying to get us to see here is that by our standards, this uh, is quite young, right? This was customary at that time, but barely a woman by our standards. And so we are not told anything of her previous life. All that we know is that she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. We do not know who her parents were. We don't know what her family dynamics were like. We don't know whether she was excited to be engaged or maybe... Like many young brides at that time, was she uh, a little bit nervous about becoming a wife and a homemaker? She had her whole life ahead of her. I just wonder when I think about her, what, what were Mary's hopes? What were her dreams? How did she think her life was going to play out? We don't know any of this. The scene that we've just read in Luke chapter 1 simply opens with the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary with this miraculous announcement that the Messiah the world needed was ready to come, that God was sending his son and Mary was chosen to be his mother. And so what started out as an ordinary day has suddenly for Mary become quite extraordinary. And so here's what I want to do today as we consider this text. I just want to consider Mary's different responses to this news, 
Mary's different responses to the news of Jesus's, of Jesus's arrival. And we know that she ultimately, because we've just read it, we know that she ultimately agrees to her part in the story, right? We know that. But if we just move a little more slowly through this narrative, we actually will find that Mary has three different responses. And I wonder if you noticed them. Uh, the first one is in verse 28 and 29. I'll read it again. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So what was her first response to the greeting that the angel brings? She's troubled. She's troubled, verse 29. And I don't know, I just wonder if we skip over this part of the story. Like if we have just gotten so used to the holiness of the story that somehow we've just lost touch with the humanity found in it. And here's what I mean by that. It's that we've heard these stories so many times. I've already said it this morning. And listen, even if you've never been in church before today, around this time of year, like we're just exposed to it on, on TV, through songs. Like we hear this story. And we've just gotten so used to the miraculous nature of it all, the holiness of it all, that sometimes we forget that these were real flesh and blood people. Mary was a real person with real emotions, real thoughts and feelings. And I just wonder, I mean, I know I've done this. I just kind of sometimes think of Mary in this like wooden kind of way, like just a one-dimensional stoic kind of way. Like, you know, she was just sitting there in that room and she was just probably thinking to herself, well, I just had a feeling an angel was going to show up today. I just, I just kind of was anticipating that. And we read the story, or at least I do, and we picture her as being unsurprised, because we're unsurprised, because we know the story. We've gotten so used to hearing it. But I'm just telling you, my Bible says that she was flat out troubled by the goings on in her room in this little town in Nazareth. She was troubled by it. She was not jumping up and down, giddy and excited. Troubled was her first response. And I don't know if you notice this, but the angel calls her favored, but she feels troubled. You know, had it been me, and I don't know, y'all might think a certain kind of way about me after this, but I'm willing to take that chance. Had it been me, I probably would have felt a little bit puffed up had an angel appeared to me and called me favored. Like, oh, thank you, Gabriel. Can I call you Gabe? Like, yeah. You know, I, I have been feeling a little favored lately. It's just been a really good week. I just, thank you. No, she, that's why I'm not the mother of Jesus. And she is. She felt troubled. She wasn't feeling all uppity. She felt troubled by this. Um, troubled in the Greek is a word that means this. This is so interesting to me. It means, um, I think we have it, yes. To agitate greatly or to wholly disturb. W-H-O-L-L-Y. To wholly disturb. And I just wonder, and this is just my own observation, but I just wonder if Mary had an inkling of knowing that sometimes the favor of God doesn't always feel like favor. It can feel a little more disruptive to our lives. So she was a Jewish girl. She would have grown up hearing stories, knowing stories like um, Abraham, who God told him to leave his home country and go to where he didn't know. God just said go. She would have known stories of people like Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, who was accused of attempted rape and then basically forgotten for a number of years in prison. She would have known the story of another young girl named Esther, 
who was taken from her family and put in a harem with other young girls so that she could maybe be selected as the new queen. She would have known the story of, of a man named Job who lost his family business, his income, and all 10 of his children died, and that all happened in the same day. She would have known all of those stories. Now, in all of those instances, these people were chosen by God, were favored by God, yet they all faced tremendous difficulties. And that, that could very well be disruptive to our modern ears. Because there are so many theologies that we're pitched these days that tells us that life with God is supposed to be easy. We, I don't know, there's so many theologies out there that just tell us that I just, it, life with God is just one blessing stacked upon another, stacked upon another, and there's nothing hard about it. I'm just trying to get us to see, though, that biblically speaking, sometimes the favor of God doesn't feel all that much like favor. It can feel hard. Let's just consider for a moment how favor is gonna work itself out in Mary's life. We're gonna do a flash forward in her life for a minute. So favor for Mary would likely mean being ostracized by her family. Because, come on, who's gonna believe this story? You got pregnant by who? By what? The holy what? No, you're grounded. Or more likely in the... <laughs> More likely in these days, it would have been much more serious and grounding. It would have been considered stoning. Favor for Mary meant having to tell her fiancé that she was pregnant. That has to be a tough conversation. Favor for her meant having a baby in a barn in a city that is not her hometown. Her mother wouldn't have been there. None of her female relatives would have been there to help assist, which would have been uh, the case in a normal situation, which is probably whatever she imagined childbirth one day, the way she pictured it, would have been with her mom and family around. Favor for Mary meant a king trying to come and find her newborn baby and kill her son and her having to flee her own country and go to Egypt. Favor for, for Mary meant having to move a total of three times just to keep her young son alive. Favor for Mary would eventually mean having to watch her son, the son that she birthed, the son that she nursed, the son that she clothed, the son that she taught to walk and talk, the son who would run to her with every scraped knee and climb up on her lap and cuddle with him so she could kiss away every salty tear, the son that she loved without reserve. She would watch this son die a horrible death. She would one day look up at a hill with a cross that was holding her broken, bruised, bleeding boy. And I just wonder if it felt like favor. Favor for Mary meant having her life totally flipped upside down. I just want us to see that favor doesn't always feel fun and fluffy. It doesn't always feel easy. It can feel so very costly. And so I just wonder if when that angel stood there in front of her calling her favored, if she just sensed that something disruptive was about to happen in her life. Because here's what I want to put before you this morning, lest you think that I'm calling the favor of God a, a bad thing that we ought to avoid. Favor can also mean experiencing a miracle that we would otherwise miss out on. 
Favor can also mean experiencing the extraordinary. In fact, favor, we've got a a new, uh, can you put up that next slide there? Thank you. Favor, if we will let it, rather than being wholly disruptive to our lives, it can actually be a holy disturbance, H-O-L-Y. If we will let it, it can work itself out to be not just wholly disturbing, but it can be a holy disruption. Listen, some of you might be going through some things right now and you're looking at them and you're just like, this is totally messing up my life. This is not the picture that I had in my head for the way that my life was supposed to go. And I'm just saying maybe, I just wanna, I just wanna put it out there before you that maybe that hard thing in your life is actually a holy disturbance. Maybe God is up to something in your life. Maybe God is setting you up to experience some only God can do it kind of stories. Because almost without exception in my own life, almost without exception, some of the most amazing God-sized stories have come on the other side of hard stuff. And every person I just named a moment ago, um, Abraham, Joseph, Esther, Job, every single one of them, yes, they went through hard stuff, they went through trouble, but they also went on to experience abundant, miraculous, only God can do it kind of stories. And Mary would experience this too in her life. Again, another flash forward, like I can just guarantee you that Mary experienced a different kind of joy whenever she got news that Jesus had busted out of that grave. (laughs) You know, she's a different kind of joy that we just can't get, but she experienced that. And of course, here in Luke chapter one, she had no idea about all the details of her life. She didn't know how it was all gonna unfold. But I think one thing is probably very clear to her after the appearance of an angel in her room. Nothing would be the same. It was a holy disruption in her life. So let's see how she responds next. The angel goes on to tell her that she will give birth to the Messiah, to this Jesus. And in verse 34, Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? So her first response was that she was troubled. She was troubled, and her second response is that she questions. She asks a question. A very reasonable question, by the way, because again, let's um, try to think of ourselves as just like looking through that window, peering in on the scene of Mary with the angel. I kind of imagine this moment of her just like almost not even be able to look at him, just kind of like having to look, put her eyes to the floor. And because this is a question that would have very likely brought a blush to her young cheeks when she admits her lack of intimacy with a man. Because this is the first century. I mean, this, these kind of conversations, these sorts of things were not spoken of in quite so cavalier a way as they are nowadays. But she's a smart girl. She knows how these things work. So she's just getting some clarity around the thing. And I don't know if you have been given some kind of a version of faith or told about some kind of version of faith that says it's wrong to ask God questions, but I want you to know that it isn't. It is not wrong to ask him questions. In fact, I'm convinced that he loves it when we ask questions. He loves it. He's a lot of things. But teacher is one of the hats that he wears best. And we just look at the New Testament with Jesus. He loves to teach us. It is not wrong to ask him things, but 
The way we ask matters. That I am convinced of. The way we ask matters. If we flip to the beginning of uh, Luke chapter 1, we will see a very similar story that runs parallel to, to Mary's story. I told you a few minutes ago about Elizabeth. Um, Elizabeth was um, Mary's cousin. And uh, so Gabriel appears to Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, and tells him, hey, your elderly barren wife is going to have a baby. And Zachariah's response is this in Luke chapter 1, verse 18. He says, how can I be sure of this? Another way of phrasing that is, is like, what assurances can you give me that this is actually going to happen? So he asks the question. Mary asks a similar question. His was much more doubt-filled and pointed. So they have similar questions but different. And, and uh, when Zachariah asks this question, he actually um, gets his mouth shut up for, for nine months because of the way he asked the question. But Mary asks, she doesn't ask, how can I be sure? She asks, how will this be? Again, clarifying question. She isn't doubting. She isn't calling into question God's plan. She isn't doubting everything that Gabriel has told her concerning Jesus. But here's the thing. What she is questioning is her role in this. How will this be since I am a virgin? Her question isn't so much about the miracle of Jesus. It's about her being included in the miracle. And I wonder how many of us do this. Because God invites all of us into his story. And I just think sometimes, it's not that we necessarily question him, but we can question ourselves. We look at our past, we look at our mistakes, we look at our family of origin, we look at our bad choices, and we think, how will this be since I... And then you get to fill in the blank. How will this be, God, since I have a shameful past? How will this be, God, since I have hurt so many people, far too many people? How will this be, God, since I've been stuck in this addiction, I've been trying to get free, and I just can't? How will this be, God, since I'm estranged from my family? How will this be, God, since I am? And then we could just all fill that blank in in a different kind of way. Because we all have things that we think could disqualify us from being used by God. We look at our stuff and our circumstances and we think, there's just no way. There's maybe him, maybe her, not me. There's just no way. And I had the same kind of questions and I still do sometimes. Sometimes I still struggle with this line of questioning because if some of you know my story, I shared it a few weeks ago, but I can look at my past and go, man, how will it be, God, that you could ever use somebody with a past like mine? How could I actually be of any real use to you? So stick with me for a moment because, listen, Mary also wonders. She wonders at her part in this unfolding story. And this is how Gabriel answers Mary's question. How will this be, Mary asks. In verse 35, Gabriel answers, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. She asks, how will this be? Because I am a virgin. And he responds by telling her exactly how. Daryl summarizes it this way. He says, the how of the miracle is a who. And the who isn't Mary. It's the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, the same one that hovered over the waters and brought something out of nothing in the book of Genesis. This same Spirit that gave form to a void, he's gonna do the same miraculous thing in Mary. The Holy Spirit is the answer to Mary's how. He is the one who is going to do the miracle. He is the one who is going to cause all of this to work out. He is the one who is going to do what Mary could never do on her own. She would have never even dreamt of doing on her own. The Holy Spirit is the answer to her how, and he is the answer to our how as well. He is the one who can do a miracle in your life. He is the one who can cause all the things that are going on in your life to work together for good. He really can. He is the one who can do what you could never do on your own. And he can do far more, more than you could ever dream of. The Holy Spirit is the answer to your how. It isn't up to us. Man, that gives me so much relief. It isn't up to us. The how of her miracle is the Holy Spirit. The how of our miracle is the Holy Spirit. So let's recall Mary's responses up to this point. She started out troubled. She asks a clarifying question. And now let's look at her third response. Verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. So her final final response, she says yes. She says yes. I love that we've gotten, we've gotten to have a glimpse into her process here because she's been given the news of a lifetime and she has had to, in a matter of moments, wrestle through a thousand thoughts for what all of this means. Again, put yourself in her shoes. We read the story so fast, but she had to just go through all the things that this would mean, not just for her, but for all of humanity. Not just that she was going to have a son, but that she was going to have the son of God. And in many ways, I think her yes would have been harder than ours is today because she had no proof. She didn't have a New Testament to check through. She didn't have any extra biblical historical documents for her to fact check. She had no witnesses to testify of this Jesus. She'd never heard his name before. But she said yes anyway. I also want to note what she isn't saying. Mary is not saying here, yes, this is totally clear now. I can totally wrap my head around this. I completely understand. No, That's not what she's saying, but what she is saying in essence is, I don't know how this thing is gonna play out, but I will trust you, God, and I will say yes to you. And this is an interesting um, space to be in, to say yes even though you don't know all the details of how something is gonna unfold. Um, Tim Keller talks about this in his book, Hidden Christmas. I think we have the quote for you, and he writes this. He says, This can be a very important space to occupy, at least for a time. Some people will make no move toward Jesus at all, unless it all comes together for them, rationally, emotionally, and personally. But sometimes you can only do what Mary does, submit and trust despite the fear and reservations. That gives you a foothold for moving forward. For some of us, that space of not knowing is actually paralyzing. Because we can't know all the answers, we find it incredibly difficult to believe or trust in this Jesus. 
we find it near impossible to give our lives to him because we, we want to be 100% sure. But I believe that at least part of the reason that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to go into such detail of Mary's response is to show us a model for how we get to respond to the news of Jesus. He takes us on this journey of seeing how she arrived at her yes. What a gift that is to us, to see that she was troubled at first, to see that she did have some questions. This young, ordinary girl from an ordinary town living an ordinary life was the first person to hear the news of Jesus and to say yes. She was the first one out of all of us to make room for her, to make room for Jesus in her heart. Daryl calls Jesus, or calls her Jesus's first disciple. And I really like that. She was the first one to believe in him, even when she didn't have all of the answers. And like Mary, you and I have been told something as well. We've also been entrusted with something. And the question before us today is the same question that Mary had to face. And the question is, what will we do with this Jesus? What will we do with him? Because we have been given the gift of knowing the rest of the story. We know that Jesus grew up. We know that he lived a sinless life. We know that he took on the punishment for our sins. We know that he died a brutal death. And that three days later, he rose again. That he overcame death, defeated death once and for all. That he bridged the gap between us and God that he made a way for us. He did the impossible. He saved us, loved us, gave his life for us, chooses us, chooses you. And for some of you, this may be your first time to hear that news. And for others of you, you may be in that space that I was talking about a moment ago, that space of just like you've heard, but you're just still not sure. I just, like, I don't know. I've been trying to wrap my head around this and I'm just not, not there yet. If you're sitting in this room today, there's, we, we've gotten to a point where we can't unhear what we've heard. <laughs> Once you've heard the news about Jesus, you have to make a decision on what we're gonna do with it all of us have to face that choice at some point in our lives. And so I wanna invite you today to consider what will you do with the news of this Jesus? Would you make room for him in your heart? Would you consider believing the impossible? Though it's hard. Though you may in fact feel troubled though there may be some lingering questions because you just don't have it all figured out yet. Would you trust him? Would you respond like Mary and say, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word.